Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another episode. I'm your host, Aaron Osborne. This week, my guest is Bo from Harm's Way, coming back again to talk about another record. Uh, This time, Bo chose the Black Album by Metallica, um, a record that he is very familiar with because he fucking loves Metallica and a record that I am very familiar with because I also love Metallica. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it was fun chat. Good to talk to him about a record that we both like a lot and both have a lot of feelings on. Uh, We also talked quite a bit about the doco movie, uh, A Year and a Half in the Life of Metallica that's sort of based around the recording and then the release of the record. So if you haven't watched that, go and watch it. It's on YouTube. We talk about it heaps and it's pretty interesting. Um, It's an interesting way to look at uh, a band functioning at their peak. And then if you go and watch some kind of monster afterwards, you can see a band (laughs) that is trying to do the same thing, but it's just all falling apart. So it's pretty interesting to watch the pair of them. Um, this episode, much like the episode with Patty, uh, is a video episode as well. Um, so head to our YouTube channel and you can check out the video version of this if you want as well. Uh, thanks as always to J-Hat for John for helping with all that and making it look really good. And thanks to Bo for fucking coming on and doing a video version of it as well. Um, But yeah, so enjoy episode 102 of the Oblivious Maximus podcast with Bo from Harm's Way talking about the Black Album by Metallica. Fucking brutal. Bo, thank you for doing the podcast again. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me again. Pleasure. Um, all right. So this time round, uh, a record well associated with your personality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably to the, the surprise of no one. Certainly not to Colin Young. Yeah. Um, so, all right. You picked the Black Album. Why Why the Black mm-hmm. Album for this conversation? Um, <clears throat> That's actually a good question. I don't think there is a record that I know more about. Yeah. Like, just in general. So, I figured it would be a good conversation piece anyway. And then also, um, I've been just listening to it a lot for some reason recently. I, I don't... I think I revisited some of the... Some of the B, some of the non-hits. Some of the B-sides. Yeah. Um, and realized that, like... There's really not a bad song on the record, and it kind of sparked like a new appreciation for it a, a few weeks ago, just coincidentally. Yeah, it's like yeah. I forgot how many like licks are are in deep embedded in songs that like. I think what one thing that I always forget about this record is that, um, they you know ov- obviously they were. They went with a producer who'd done big bands and had just obviously just come out of doing Motley Crue and stuff like that. So that's a a huge difference. But at the same time, you know, the record before this was still very like riff heavy, song structure heavy Metallica. It's not like this was, um, yeah, like it's, it's interesting to see that this record is kind of where, obviously where the change starts happening for the band, but there is still 
this weird dynamic of like there are still lots of really cool like metal licks happening deep in the songs yeah uh before we get into it what is your overall opinion of this record um i really like it like i mean okay obviously you know like i assume most people our age this was the first metallica thing i heard um and i mean i think yeah i mean i must have heard it when i was 12 or something right when i started listening to metal 11 or whatever um and i just remember immediately loving enter sandman because it's <laughs> it, it's everything that i would go on to like anyway like i mean even list, uh, listening to it yesterday i forgot that there's like a you know the return to the riff at the end of the song has like a which is like dude <laughs> that's like and it's all i awesome. like about music <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like really heavy and yeah. I know this is corny, but I was also a kid, you know, who like, I mean, Black Album stuff was on the radio. We had a radio station here in Chicago called Q101. Yeah. Q101 was uh, an affiliate of K-Rock yeah, in sure. Los Angeles, which was like the rock station, you know? So like, it was just, they played everything. They played all tons of Alice in Chains. We talked about this last time. They played lots of Nine Inch Nails. That's yeah, yeah. I heard about Nine Inch Nails and tons of Metallica. And that part, if you listen close and if you're like a, you know, a naive young man growing up <laughs> listening to this in your mom's car, kind of sounds like he says Bo during that part. <laughs> he goes like, Bo! It's, and, you know, so like, it even when I was a kid, you. I was like, wow, he's talking to me. I'm the little baby. <laughs> um, Yeah, so I was trying to think of that today, like when... I actually think if I was if I really was like pressed, I, I think I probably heard Memory Remains. I think that's the first memory sure. I have, ironically, of of a Metallica song. Yeah. I just remember Marianne Faithful like singing that creepy part of the Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I think that was like ninety four, which would I would have been like seven. Yeah, sure. You know? Right when you're kind of starting to remember anything that's not like the wheels on the bus or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh and then I remember the S&M record. My mom bought it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then by that time you're just kind of like, "Oh yeah, the Black Album. Yeah, everybody knows that." Yeah. yeah. Anderson Sandman heard it heard it 100,000 times. Well, I think like And then, you know, you mm-hmm. Oh, I just think like I I mean, I certainly have the same thing with like Nothing Else Matters. Like I'm sure yeah. I'm sure I'd heard that song a million times before I knew it was Metallica, you know. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Right. So then you do the thing, you know, where you get older and you find out that Metallica was like like a legit thrash band, right? Yeah. So you get into like the older records and then it's like, oh, well, fuck the Black Album, obviously. <laughs> I mean, yeah. obviously I don't like that, dude, you know, and everyone <laughs> has to like say it. And it's like, yeah, I'm the first four records only guy. And then, you know, for me, I just kind of like, as you get, I got more and more into heavy music and you kind of realize like, uh, Black album and load and reload kind of have some hits. And yeah. dude, I mean, I mean, I want to go through. We don't have to talk in depth about every song, but I want to go through every song because, like, I've probably got notes on all of them. So that's. Fine. I mean, I, I you know, so I started a job recently where I'm driving around the city collecting scooters for one of the scooter companies. So today I listened to it twice. Yeah, driving around just on repeat, 
absolutely blasting in a giant sprinter, just like bombing around Chicago, throwing (laughs) scooters all over the place. Just like, yes, (laughs) just loving it. So, um, so yeah, let's, uh, you know what though? Let me, I want to pull up the track listing so I don't like forget, um, miss out on anything. Um, but let's start with Enter Sandman. Yeah. I know that's first. Well, I mean, my, my first, my, like my first Sandman note is that <laughs> good on, good on Kirk for getting in and writing like the, the biggest riff they have. <laughs> like easy. Yeah. You, you know, easy. when you think about the scope of that band, it's Lars, you know, it's Hetfield and then it's Kirk. Yeah in the you know just slightly to the kind side of. <laughs> like yeah yeah right but yeah. you know good for him for coming in and getting that first credit on the on the biggest song of their career you know and do you know do you know about like what the original riff was no please go on so the original the original riff that like he put on a demo tape that he handed to james and Lars was it had the tag after every all oh, right Wenana. and lars being a weird genius yeah decided hey only do the tag on you know at the end of the measure yeah and then there you go you know it's like it, <laughs> it's so funny to me that that for for all the grief that he gets, which a lot of it is deserved, I would say, and particularly yeah, the grief surely. that he gets about his drumming, because I mean, like, it has gotten worse over time. There's no or or oh my god or I mean, even just today, this is a slight side note because I consumed so much Metallica content over the last day, doing listening <laughs> to this and stuff. My YouTube is just serving me up so much Metallica wow. now. And it gave it like gave me that new S and M for whom the bell tolls, and there is a bit in the video where he like you know he goes kind of out of time in a fill, and the whole mm-hmm. orchestra is just like <laughs> like you and uh, it's oh in the video God. like you could see the dude playing like the timpani drums stops like he's just like. Because obviously he can't keep going in time if the band's now got to like <laughs> swing into Lars time, like he's got to go. Oh, okay, we're back in, <laughs> dude. I, it, it's funny, dude, because like, have you ever seen a year and a half in the life of Metallica? That's what I watched to like the last okay, two e- days. E- excellent. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. It's great. That documentary, I think, is one thing Metallica has always. I mean, obviously. That thing is like good in a serious way, and some kind of monster is good in like a hilarious way. Yeah, opposite ends of the spectrum. But I mean, they're very good at like documenting shit that they do and stuff. And I, oh, yeah. I love both parts the the making of and the touring on. Mm. And um, you get you understand immediately. There's one part in in part one when he's talking about, oh yeah, mixing is when you. Mixing is like you can make stuff louder and pan it from side to side or make it go on only the left or only the right or add a bunch of like weird shit. Like that is his description of what mixing is. <laughs> it's like, bro, this is your fifth record. Yeah. And you, you already have platinum albums. Yeah. And you've surely you've How- paid millions of dollars to do what you're currently doing. And that's your understanding of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's insane. But, um, you know, I. So my opinion of this record is, I I think, 
<clears throat> I don't think it's their best record. Sure. I think it's their most important record. I don't think it's their best record. Uh, I'm a I'm a master of puppets guy. Yeah. Because I think honestly, as much of a huge like I have a huge bias. I'm a huge you know uh, Metallica fanboy. They have songs on every record that I'll skip. Yeah. I don't like Kill 'Em All outside of like two riffs on two songs. Sure. It's like a demo to me. I'm just not a Kill 'Em All guy. Ride the Lightning has like the best vibe. Yeah. Coolest style. Bullet belts, screeching, skateboards, and the Misfits. Like it's awesome. Yeah. But like Escape and even Trapped Under Ice are just kind of like whatever, you know, like they're not amazing. Master of Puppets, front to front to back, no skips, amazing record. And Justice to me has like the hits. Like my some of my favorite songs, Blackened, Harvester, yeah. One and fucking uh Shortest Straw. Yeah. So But good. I'm not listening to a nine and a half minute song with sixteen time changes. <laughs> like, sorry guys. Like I'm I'm out. You know, so I skip a lot of stuff. I the Beholder, not not that cool of a song. So there's just there's there's stuff that I skip, and and it used to be on on uh, the Black Album that I would after wherever I may roam, I would probably turn it off and just be like, all right, I, I I've heard it you yeah. know, for a long time. Um, which we'll get to, but this record I've realized is like. One of the most important, and it's kind of why I wanted to talk about it, is I think it's one of the most important records that's come out ever. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, like, I'm not even I'm not even being hyperbolic or, like, trying to exaggerate or, like, I, I, like, legitimately believe it's probably the most important record that ever came out, at least within the very broad spectrum of what heavy metal is. Yeah, I mean, like, the... I mean, it's sold... 31 million copies to date and it sells the the current average is it sells something like 5,000 copies a week like and it has done obviously it sold more than that when it came out but like if your record is still you this record came out 20 years ago and it still sells <laughs> 5,000 copies a week I, I again doing like the little uh, came out 30 years oh, ago. 30 years ago sorry yeah yeah, shit. And like looking looking um looking up like just information about it. There was like a little article with Jason Newstead basically saying like like someone was like is it true you can live off Metallica royalties? And he's like, "Yeah, of of course it's true." Like what do you that <laughs> it sells heap like he's like one record sells enough for me to live off. And they're like, "So yeah. why do you keep doing bands?" And he's like, because I want to play music. It's not like... Yeah, like... I, it's the not, same reason I left Metallica. Yeah. You know? It's like, yeah. oh, you don't just get a job and when you have enough money, you go, okay, that's it. I don't do anything anymore. I'll just <laughs> sit at home forever now. <laughs> like, But... Yeah. Okay. So, Sandman. Good intro riff. Yeah. Strong. You got... You got... Uh, Hatfield truly at his prime, in my opinion. He sounds Ooh. fucking perfect on this record. And like... Personally, I think that's all due to Bob Rock. Yeah. Like, I understand Bob Rock gets a lot of hate. Um, well. I don't know if that's deserved, I'm, really. I don't think so. It's it's. I, I don't think so either. And I think he's a producer. It's not like he's doing the job that he was paid to do. And mm -hmm. they have every right to say no. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. it's their band. They He didn't make them do it, you know. I think. Yeah. But you can you can tell, like. I mean, even in that, you know, in the doco, like he's, he's like, no, 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 don't, 
don't like puss out on that singing like that. Like you have to go yeah. hard on the, which is like, okay, if he was a pop guy, he wouldn't be saying that. You know, he's clearly trying to make it a Metallica record. Like he's trying to make yeah. it hard, and he's, yeah, right. You know, but yeah, certainly his have, his like- vocals are insane. On like the le- the level of, I guess musical improvement from one record to the next is crazy Mm -hmm. like and right away when it kicks in there's like crazy low end it's a sonic like experience which like again and justice sounds like absolute dog shit yeah i love that record but it's like almost unbearable to listen to like if you're driving and you're listening to it in in a car stereo Mm. turning that loud is awful yeah it's one of those kinds of things you know and so i think the juxtaposition between each record like right off the rip 20 seconds in and you're like oh this is this sounds amazing this sounds incredible yeah like what the hell is going you know what i mean so yeah i love it i love that the biggest song they ever did is the 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 Uh, standard beat on open e just let's go (laughs) and it's 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 a perfect, perfect opener. Yeah, it's a and perfect opener to that record. It's it's like I, I mean, in in that again as well. Like there was a, there's a bit where, um, where Bob Rock is talking about. I can't remember what's holier like, than thou. Yeah, and he's like, oh, yeah. this is the song. Like this is the single. This is. <laughs> yeah. And I was like. I mean, clearly this clearly that's a sign that it's not Bob Rock's fault because his yeah. his thought of a single is not the most popular song. So, and like, yeah. I don't know, I I I, I assume their management had something to do with it, as their management is very clearly very involved with everything that they've done. But like, yeah, that being picked as the first song of the record's got to be the band going like, oh no, this is like, this is the punch. This this record needs to start with but i mean really crazy the other thing with that song too is just like it's super simple which is obviously this i mean that you know the broad stroke of this record is that it was them trying to do admittedly trying to do something more straightforward because you know uh, you know i think they talk about it in there saying like you know the other songs were really long and had lots of different parts and all this and yep even just like the drumming going like, you know, just playing like the ACDC beat instead of playing, you know, like every song, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, changed, yeah. it changes the vibe. And I get it's, it's cool that that, that the idea is to use that to accentuate the vocals, but at the same time, like, of course, that's going to be more uh, impactful when it's just like the first song is just like straight away, like, bop, 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 you know? Yeah, it's. It's so awesome, man. <laughs> I um I, I really like There you go. You know, Sandman is Sandman is like their you know, it's their fucking mother. Yeah. Or their uh you know, it's like the most overplayed. We've all heard it. And like surely no one ever needs to listen to that song ever again. Yeah. But I still like get psyched when I hear that song. Like I still like because I know that end part, the yeah, <laughs> it's and then coming. the bow part, is, I know it's coming. Your dog wanted to get involved, and not Metallica <laughs> wants there. to get involved. This is Metallica, everyone. <laughs> you trying to go up there? Let me put him in his spot real quick. Say hi. 
<laughs> He's got a little perch that he likes to chill in, and the MacBook is in his way. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, good song. Great single. Obviously, obviously a great single, like the most important yeah. song they ever did. Obviously. So we can, I don't even think we really need to talk about that. <laughs> like, it's like ironically not that important to talk about because it's like. Everyone knows. Yeah, no shit. Who doesn't know? My it? only other favorite Enter Sandman story is um, when Nails were here and played Download. I think I've talked about this before, but like, I guess, you know, Todd was just tuning or something and the rest of the band just started playing Enter Sandman and then and because it was at like a festival and there was like 20,000 people in front of the stage people got so revved up and Todd just started playing it and they played like the intro and maybe like the first verse of Sandman and like oh, like man. I was standing beside Taylor just like laughing and he was just sort of like shaking his head playing it like <laughs> So that, yeah. that's my that's my last note on Enter Sandman. Um, so then we have Sab Sabatru, which is like an insane song. Yeah, and like I guess like, I guess that the other thing too is like uh, you kind of touched on it, but like this record is very top heavy, and like in that the front end is loaded with like every. I mean the first six songs are all like i think i think the a side has four hits yeah and, and the they B were all the singles one. right yeah 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 all the singles yeah which is crazy which is like crazy yeah it, it, and and really kind of is the the definition of like a b what b sides are yeah. you know in the sense of like yeah it's on the b side of the record but you know it's a good song man <laughs> but you know this um this song was the last single that they did. Yeah, right. I just read today. They so Sandman came out in ninety one. This one came out in ninety three. Jesus, think about that. The record came out in ninety one. Yeah, but this was like released as a single in nineteen ninety three because they were still fucking touring on the record. <laughs> yeah, this was like this was the start as well of them. I guess because of how popular the record was, but this was also the start of them getting to the point where they were like actually touring the entire year every year right yeah they did they did i think it was 20 months straight of touring yeah. with a few weeks in between tours at home and stuff like in the year in the life part two they lars is like i think if we do this tour it'll be good because we'll get a nice long two-week christmas vacation <laughs> and you're just kind of like holy fuck man but then also at the same time they're not sleeping on floors and, no. and riding in vans they have a jet yeah with their logo on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's it's kind of one of those things that's like obviously they had done like real touring up until then, but yeah. I think you you and I could both very comfortably survive in a jet and a, a hotel suite to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> so wouldn't be that kind of go uh, and, and and then also on top of it making millions of dollars. Oh yeah. And like it's it's so funny too that like I mean I, I like I definitely understand how they got, you know, particularly when it's dudes that like effectively, you know, a lot of them sort of came from nothing as well. They get they get spiraled very quickly into like hardcore alcohol abuse and like I'm sure crazy drug abuse as well. That wasn't probably oh, yeah. probably as documented as the alcohol abuse was, but like it is 
it's just so wild that, you know, again, this was probably a band that would have a couple of years prior would have been like, uh, fucking Guns N' Roses or whatever, like dumb rock stars. And then like, yeah, not three years later, they're in a, you know, a private jet, all alcoholics, yeah. all divorced, yeah. all like just yeah, doing all, the exact same thing. I guess Hammett, Lars, and Newstead all got divorces. Yeah. Like, during the recording of the record and Hadfield wasn't married yet. Right. So three for three marriages ended. <laughs> <laughs> they were in the studio for 18 months. Well, yeah. it took 18 months. I mean, it's like thinking about this song too. Like I think the, um, Sabatru's featured a couple times in that doco as well in that, like in a couple times where they talk specifically about the drums because I guess it, it's one of those songs that has like a, like, I mean, even though it's just a like four hit snare beat, it's just like, yep. I mean, it's, it, it and again, like to come out of, to come out of entertainment, to ha- like, I guess you need to have the next hardest thing to come out of it. Like you can't just go, yeah. you can't go. Yeah. Nothing else matters there. Like you need to keep it, right? Yeah, keep it moving a bit. Dude, it's. It's insane. They they show in the doc the he uses like a little baritone like a like a half bass guitar yeah yeah the gunk gunk and like you can now that when you see that in the documentary for anyone who hasn't seen it it's on YouTube yeah just go it's and like watch three it. and a half hours long go watch it it's it's awesome yeah it's so awesome uh, it's even just cool like to just to see how the process how different the process used to be at the time because you could see edits being made by cutting tape yeah and doing all the shit that we didn't we never had to do thankfully yeah you know oh but, what, one um, of the other big things that i saw in that that just blew my mind that i've i've never thought of or done was recording vocals with speakers and not headphones like he's oh yeah he has monitors in front of him and he's just screaming into monitors basically and i was like I've only ever yelled in a cupboard, basically. Like I've never been, <laughs> I've never been in a yeah. room with massive monitors yelling at them. Wow, you're right. Yeah. So this song, you know, it's funny because like there's four or five songs that like we probably don't even really need to talk about. Yeah. We're gonna talk about them, but everyone's heard this song again too. Uh, I think this song has some of Lars's best drumming on the record because it has like some tricky kind of hi hat stuff. There's yeah. some tricky drum stuff going on the 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 pre-chorus i'm the dream turn the real i'm your the chin chin when i'm wearing out like really cool very different lots of harmonies mm. there's like a weird uh kirk kind of lead over one of the pre-choruses it's awesome yeah you know like there, there's a lot to the song it's super fucking heavy I think it's the only song on the record that's in a drop tuning. It's a, I think it's their first. No, no, thing that should not be. I think is in a drop D tuning. But um, what tuning it, is it? Know, in? It's a. Is it? It's in drop D. Okay. Crazy. Yeah. Well, that, <laughs> I, I mean, think that's. I I could be mistaken. Do they play an E flat normally? They play an E standard, baby. Oh, okay. Which is also crazy. Yeah. That kill kill them all through the black album E standard. Yeah, it, I mean, it's that's another. I mean, that's another note that I have. That I mean, I've talked about it on here before, but like, I don't, I, I don't agree with the statement that you have to tune low for it to be heavy because, obviously, a record like this is heavy, and then like, 
Black Sabbath is heavy and they they always play in standard as well. And like yeah. I I'm I am long past that, but it still does as someone who never plays in standard really. Like it is right. Yeah, right. it is like it is quite jarring sometimes to me to be like, well, if I can't make it sound good in E, then I'm doing something wrong because mm. everything has been fine in this tuning, you know? So I was mistaken. This is in D standard. Okay. So it's not it's not a drop tuning, which actually makes sense because you could pick up a standard guitar and play it. Sure. I don't know why I didn't realize that. But yeah, to what you were saying, like the first Harm's Way stuff was in D standard and then we did an EP in drop C and then on isolation we moved to drop B and it there is a thing where like James voice frequencies and the frequencies of, of yeah. what was left of the mids of the guitars like match up like that is a thing, you know, like, yeah, I don't think bolt thrower would sound as good tuned up. No, because I, I think like his Carl's growl or whatever has a certain frequency. to Yeah. It. You know, I, I think that matters even in non melodic music. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that certainly there is like um there's like a place for having having the the difference you know like even even like i exist for example is drop c and when we uh, we played a show one time we we went to a show and at the show like all of us were there and people asked us to play and we're like we don't have any of our stuff and this band was like oh you can use our stuff and we're like this will be funny let's just do it this is like when we like first started and they're like way tuned low yeah in drop a <laughs> and so we just were like this is funny but and it was just like we effectively sounded like you know like a mosh band playing like stoner riffs but like it was <laughs> it was one of those it's like obviously while you know that that again furthers the argument that like no this obviously like tuning that low doesn't suit playing the like having three-part guitar harmonies you know like that that doesn't make sense but Right. I, I don't I don't think there's any I have obviously I have no issues with bands tuning I think it really suits a lot of what bands do but it this all that this screams to me is that like things can still be so like crunchy and heavy even in E or D or whatever you know like like you said that that little video of him playing that I don't know if it's a bass or it's like a baritone guitar whatever I, I, it is yeah, like yeah yeah but it sounds huge you know it's it's awesome. If you another thing like something, so I have like these really shitty flat uh, studio headphones. Mm-hmm. Task them, just like they're totally not EQ'd, very flat headphones. Yeah, um, I got it for when I was doing like some home demo stuff, which they say you should do, like when you want to like really hear what a mix is. You know, sure. Listen to this record on something like that. Mm. Listen to this record on something that's not EQ'd and flat. And just giving you what was recorded. Yeah. And it is fucking... I remember when I bought these, I listened to Sad But True. That was the first thing I put mm. on to listen to it, like, years ago. And it is truly, like, amazing. Yeah. Most people's car stereos or, you know, if you have, like, Beats by Dre or whatever, have, like, a bass boost, some kind of preamp built into it or something. Yeah. Which is not going to make it sound bad, but it's just interesting to hear transparently what this record actually sounds like Hmm. i I, like i think yeah it's one of those things that is shocking to me every time that i put it on how 
like how, how good I suppose how good it still holds up in the scope of like music like this and then as well um like as when this record just finished playing and it just started it started playing a song off um Justice and it was just like yeah that's so like <laughs> yeah it, it it's it's really wild and yeah. like I said there's there's songs on Justice that I just skip every time all right so next we have a ballad Mm. both the unforgiven and nothing else matters i'm not like i like them but they're not you know it's not fade to black or like yeah. one which are like amazing mm. in like different ways my honestly my biggest beef about the unforgiven is that it's fucking six and a half minutes long yeah and, and that's that's like another thing that i wrote is that like there there's still there is still this like i don't know where they got this like hangover of like we gotta write songs that are really, really long. <laughs> like, yeah. Like it, it seems odd that that song isn't three and a half minutes or whatever. You know. Absolutely, absolutely. I fully agree. Because, like, well, I guess there's like, there's like the cool bridge with like the 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 solo for Hammett. It's like his solo. Yeah. I don't know. It. I will say this. I like the like metal biker cowboy vibe that Headfield was clearly into at this point yeah. in his life. And this song and the unforgiven and, and the references and stuff like I get it. And like, I like it. It's cool. And it's very fitting. Yeah. Some of the pictures that people are going to see that are going on behind me is Headfield in like full on bell bottoms and like a, a rodeo bell buckle. Yeah. And like no one else could pull that off. Who isn't like a six foot four monster. Yeah. Who's just brimming with confidence. So like it works for him, and like I enjoy I enjoy the song when I hear it, but it's it's really it's not what I put this record on for. Yeah, I think that that song to me as well really is like if you're trying to like where people would say like oh the black album is like where Metallica changed. I think this song is where Metallica changed. Like yeah, this yeah. this song is where like they were like oh we can start playing like more bluesy stuff in our songs and it will be accepted yeah. we can play like country style guitar in our songs will be accepted you know we can have like a bigsby bridge going in in yeah, a, yeah, in a riff yeah, right. and people will be cool with it you know um but like again i also like we said at the start like i have no problem with that <laughs> like i have i have yeah. broadly like you know, if he wants to wear those clothes and be a cowboy, like <laughs> he can do it. He's done the thrash records. Yeah. It's his fucking band, you know, like, and yeah. And I think the other, the other part of that too is like, obviously this, this, uh, this records where they start having like orchestration on, on their music, properly orchestrated stuff, I guess. And like that then plants, obviously plants the seed for doing S and M like is is where yeah. this shit starts well i i don't know if i don't remember what it's included in but the guy who conducted the philharmonic for the first snm and the second one did arrangements and string arrangements for the black album but they didn't use it oh right okay it, back in in the night in 90 or 91 whenever it was like submitted yeah and i guess they played a show somewhere and that guy, forget his name, like showed up to like say hi and be like, hey, you know, I, I was the one who like did this for you. Mm. And Lars in like a bag had a tape. And he was like, look, this is a version we had Bob made 
that is just like James vocals, a guitar, your arrangements, and like a tambourine. Yeah, right. And like, I love this. I listen to it all the time. And the guy said to Lara, supposedly, that he, I think it's the conductor who told the story in some interview or something. Well, there's a documentary on on doing S&M, and I think it's from that. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, he said to Lara, well, why didn't you use it then? Yeah. So he straight up just says, like, well, then if you liked it, what was the point? And I guess from there is the conversation of how S&M, like, right, okay. Which is cool. Like, that's a nice little, yeah. that that thread was there, you know? Yeah. And I mean, a bit, I, I guess the other thing too, and it goes more, it is in other songs on this record as well. Like, I think this is the first, at least to my knowledge and ear, I suppose, in Metallica where, like, a lot of the, where they would otherwise do, like, your, your more thrashy chord progressions or go to a minor chord or whatever this is the record mm-hmm. where they start like the tales of a lot of riffs are like the blues tale you know it's it's yeah. the it's the yeah. blues box tale on like most of the riffs um which then obviously you know is the precursor to doing a record that is like oh three five oh three five <laughs> you know like it's yeah yeah yeah, know, yeah yeah like so it's cool. Do you think, um, so in that documentary again, they claim that Hammett does the solo to this, like, in one go. Yeah. He he had tried it a couple times. It wasn't working. There was, like, that whole kind of drama. They're arguing with him about it or whatever. Yeah. But there's a part where um, there's another interview with Newstead where, where Newstead says that, like, Kirk was, like, really frustrated it just kind of goes, ah, and if you watch the documentary, he does scream. Yeah. And then he plays the solo, and then Newstead says, that was the solo that we used on the record, and he nailed it, and that's why that solo was special. And I I just wonder, because yeah. another another thing about this band is, like, I've come to realize, like, like the Seattle 89 live set on Pigeon Purge is, like, perfect, mm. like, an incredible, you know, <laughs> live performance. Yeah, but I don't think it's a real. I don't think it's a live performance, dude. Nah. There's just no way. Like we know way too much about how live music works now. Yeah, even if it's just stuff being remixed and re-EQ'd after the fact, I would be surprised if things weren't overdubbed at certain parts. I mean, that like that, and that's that. I think is my broad thing with with, I suppose like Lars in particular. Mm. This band has done. 10 live dvds videos whatever at this point there is no way that every two hour three hour however long set they play that guy has nailed every snare hit because i've seen them like five times and i know that every time i've seen them i've heard like a yeah right yeah yeah so yeah. like it, they, they have I mean they have to be punching a lot of that over top and I and and I guess the other thing too is like I have nothing and there's nothing wrong with that it's just and no, obviously as well like for a band this big you're not like me putting out a live tape that's just out of the desk like you're releasing it based on like well we'll send it off to Bob Rock and we'll get him to fucking you know make it sound good and you know it's it's a bit it's right, a right. it's a whole it's a different level of it but yeah I mean for sure like I don't know there's definitely like even when you know I've I've I think you know you probably have as well but just like been in the studio recording something 
and then like the coolest thing in a song is a mistake or it is like something that wasn't meant to be there or you didn't do it before and you just did it that one time so it worked like i mean and so that that does happen it's just yeah who knows who sure. knows if it's like the perfect solo happens like you know i would i would love to I, I would just love to know the truth about it either way it's like it is actually a really good solo he's not you know what's funny too is like i'm not a shredder at all yeah I'm, I'm i'm more of a riff guy i can't really like play solos all that well the only solos that i can play are kirk hammett solos 100 yes, because they're just a little bit more straightforward than say a marty friedman or something yeah. or, or or like a gary holt you know and uh once you kind of figure out his tricks and you kind of realize like he's just playing scales. Yeah. You kind of go, oh, okay. And But then you hear something like that where like that solo is cohesive to the beginning, the bridge, and the end of that song. And yeah. that's what a bridge should be, right? And so it's impressive for, for someone like him, at least in my opinion, it's impressive for a solo to be the glue that kind of keeps the song together. Yeah, sure. Especially when I don't like solos, like like I I could care less about a solo in most songs. Yeah, you know. And I think I think that I mean I'm I'm the same. Like I, and again like also not a guitar player who can really play leads. Like I mean it all the leads I've ever done I spent like a month writing yeah. a lead. So that's just writing a riff. Basically, I just approach it like it's a riff, but on the top end of the guitar neck. Like, mm-hmm. but like I think the. My, my thing with solos is like, which is why I do like his guitar playing a lot. And I like a lot of his solos is that like, I like solos that I can remember and I can sing the solo like I would hum the riff. You know, th- those are the solos yeah. I like, which is, you know, why I love, you know, bands like Pantera and it, it, what, like those guitar players that, that their solos are like so specific to the songs that they were a part of. Like, that's why I'm not like, you know, I don't really like that shred guitar playing stuff because to me that Mm. solo you could just apply it to whatever background it's got it doesn't have like a hook to it you know yeah exactly so i think it's a i think it is a good solo you know it's kind of a kind of a whatever song yeah just because it's not really my kind of thing but then we get wherever i may roam which is another just insane song to be the fifth song like it's still on the a side yeah we're still just rocking um it's about touring which is also sick (laughs) it's got some cool lyrics i love the word vagabond yeah that's if you can work vagabond into a song like that's amazing you know that's what always sticks out to me with that is that that um whatever it is pre-chorus line and it's just different like thesaurus words for yeah 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 nomad vagabond rover roamer wanderer yeah (laughs) yeah, i love that just i got i need one more man there's got to be another one in here i need four words Uh, someone shout out what's another word for someone who's not home (laughs) uh newstead so there's a there's a series that vh1 did called vh1 classic albums yeah um where they they have whoever kind of come back and like listen to songs like in a studio setting mm-hmm. right the motorhead one is really good for anyone curious the sabbath one is um, great too the sabbath one is good the nirvana one is good mm. the fleetwood mac one is really good oh i haven't seen but that. the metal yeah that one's sick because they talk a lot about like the the drama yeah, yeah and like 
how everyone was. Dude, Stevie Stevie Nicks just had dreams. She just had it. She's just like, oh, we could use this if you guys want. <laughs> Ugh, unbelievable. Yeah, okay. We'll, t- um, we'll, we'll borrow that one from you. <laughs> thanks, Stevie. Um, but yeah, there, there's a Metallica one, and in, in, in it, Newstead claims that the noise that's happening in wherever I may roam, the like, it almost sounds like a timpani. Mm-hmm. The is a uh, is a twelve string bass oh. with some reverb on that he's just hitting the shit out of. Wow. So what he says. I don't know. The, dude, the, the live recording of the S&M concert, <laughs> Hammett plays the sitar part, but he looks really uncomfortable, like he didn't have enough time to really practice it. And he's just kind of like, he's just like, he's like looking around like, I got it. I got it. It's not that complicated. I can play this, but it's so fucking funny. Oh, I love it. I love saying that song is crazy too. Go ahead. See, seeing stuff like that just makes me like it. It it brings so much like anxiety to me for like the times in my life where I've like fucked up the easiest thing because oh, yeah. I've been standing there thinking about it instead of just like, <laughs> uh, well, I know yeah. how to do this, but like if you stand like and which is like I think every time I've ever recorded anything, the first time the first note of any recording any guitars i'll fuck up like guaranteed because i'm like oh, oh, oh. but then after yeah. you have that one okay now i'm good after that like there was a there was a period of time where harm's way was a four piece yeah so we didn't have a second guitar player so it was just me i fucked up so much dude it was horrible <laughs> i hate shit like that but um but yeah this song's incredible the road becomes my bride yeah. i ask no one my, my ties are seven clean baby like <laughs> there's so many sick lines in this song good solo good harmonies mm. but like the low like wherever i may like it's got it all it, it's it it's so funny talking about the songs that we've been hearing since we were kids yeah because i, I don't think there's any they're so good that they're in, they're like intrinsically obvious. It's like, of course it's good. Yeah. You've been hearing it for 30 years. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. It's been on the radio. You could probably, I mean, I you know, I can't remember the last time I heard a song with guitar on it on the radio, but I'm sure I could turn on whatever the rock station is in Chicago right now, and within an hour I'm going to hear Metallica. Yeah. And it's going to be a song from this record or a Garage Day song, which is weird. Or like a load and reload song. Yeah. Oh, like I mean, it's just going to happen. And none of that would have happened without the Black Album anyway. So it's like. Yeah. It's like it, there's. I think the the other thing that I, you know, the other note that I made was like, I, so I listened to this for like all day yesterday and then spiraled into listening to the like bad Metallica songs after that, just because I was mm-hmm. like, eh, yeah, I like these songs. So I was listening to them and then I was watching the football last night and as it went to an ad break there it was like sandman straight away and i was just like i this is my metallica day is today yeah (laughs) yeah um i don't know it's also it's crazy uh when you watch a year in the life as well which i almost honestly like it comes up so much when i talk about this record that i feel like it's like a a a, uh not a compendium but like a 
like a partner piece. Yeah. To like watch along with listening to the record. They just like they're very hand in glove for me. Yeah. And I just think like it just like it, it just adds it adds a lot of context and color to the record. Yeah, um, and I, like it when you talk when you said yesterday, like let's do this record. I was like, that was the first thing I thought of was to go and watch that again because I was like, yeah, oh, everything that I can read on Wikipedia or look up on the internet, yeah, that yeah. will be in that anyway. So I'll just watch that instead. Yeah, like so when they're when they're like recording this part, uh, and, and it's like kind of playing it, they're showing like golf war shit. Yeah. You know, and it's and you kind of go, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> what is wherever I may roam really about? Yeah. And 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 I believe we'll we'll get to it with the next song actually. Mm. But you know, and justice is a very like satirical look on the American justice system. Yeah, and a look on um, the involvement in America in any given conflict yeah, that yeah. we've caused on the planet. And what's funny is you can kind of pinpoint like, okay, Hetfield, you're making money and your opinion's changing a little bit. The next song is called Don't Tread On Me. Mm. You got you get into hunting. What's going on, brother? You know, and and that's what I think is. uh, It's interesting. I read a thing today because I was curious about it. We could just move on to Don't Tread On Me. Don't Tread On Me is actually my favorite song on this record. Okay. I think it's well, fuck. it's hard to say that, but it's it's. It's really up, like legitimately up there. And it wasn't always. Um, I was always concerned that this was like a pro war, right, like a pro, you know, pro, like ultra, like a MAGA song. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a an early MAGA song. <laughs> it's not. A it's, MAGA it, precursor. I, 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 yeah. I read uh, an interview that he did where Hetfield says that it's actually more of a, like a, a don't fuck with me kind of song. Yeah, sure. It's not it's not like that's right that's what you get anyone else it's just don't fuck with me kind of a thing and he claimed it's it's it is about America but it's the opposite end of the spectrum of injustice right which is cool yeah. like that okay i can i can get behind that that's a pretty like chromags <laughs> like yeah. that's a pretty new york hardcore way to look <laughs> at it you know and um i, I this song has a terrible beginning. Yep. It's the West Side Story, I Want to Live in America beginning, which is like, they do that a lot. Dude, the OEO song from Injustice, yeah. horrible. That's fucking horrible. <laughs> and I love this band yep. with all of my heart, but that is fucking horrible. Um, the beginning of this is is pretty bad. But, and then even the main riff is pretty bad. What's funny though is I love to imagine... I've never seen him say this, and I've never seen an interview or anything. It's purely made up in my brain. But I love to imagine Lars being like, Hetfield came up with this fucking weird timing riff, and it's just a 3-4 riff. Uh. Like, it's not crazy at all. But imagining him being like, wait, so we go 1-2-3, 1-2-3, huh? <laughs> you know? It's just like, so, it's it's so fucking funny to me. But, like, good, cool. Like, the don't try to me part is cool. The verse is kind of cool. You know, it's about America and like I can I can get behind that to an extent and like fine, you know, but then the chorus happens and there's that like awesome harmony. Yeah. And it kind of goes like so it kind of goes like major oh, key for that. Like it does. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, go yeah. the way it should go. Dude. Incredible chorus. Yeah. Probably the best chorus on the record, I think. Well, that that's like it's uh, again and I could be wrong, 
but this was one of the ones where it said it was so, like it was pitched as a single but not used or oh interesting but and i guess like when you listen to like obviously it was pitched as a single because of the chorus like but then if you think ah, of this if right. you think of the scope of the song it probably makes sense that they wouldn't use it because the rest of the song is kind of jarring comparatively to like everything else that's just dirt but dirt, but you know like yeah yeah this is here's what's also interesting is like with all the thrash shit maybe once or twice a record you get like what we would call like a breakdown right like yeah. you have the one breakdown you have uh the blackened breakdown which is incredible yeah or like the creeping death part you know like they they exist but a lot of the thrash stuff like doesn't do the breakdown yeah there's a breakdown on almost every song on this record yeah. to an extent yeah the breakdown on this song the the like there's like the fade in like yeah. dude so fucking cool i i cannot get enough of that part it gives me chills every time i love that part and they never really do that you know yeah and so i love that like it's good i think there's like four songs on this record too that like if you look at the timing of this of this release um the years following this while i'm sure they wouldn't say it is like it, it is an influence like all like so many of the the second wave bands like pantera and machine had no, yeah, yeah, all those yeah, bands yeah. like so much of that has to come from like little snippets of this record where where there are riffs that where on the record before if it was like dun, 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 the beat a beat but 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 and on this record it's just like exactly but and that's like yeah that has to be where those bands were like oh okay you can play at halftime and it's it sounds even bigger awesome. like that's a really good point because when you think about the riff in this the 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 like breakdown the bridge riff that could be a sepultura part yeah easy yeah absolutely easy and like an earlier sepultura part like yeah. pre chaos ad mm. easy so that's that's actually really interesting that's a really good point so yeah i love that i think the uh Obviously, this is like like I was saying. This is where, dude. I think Headfield's. I think Headfield's a Trump supporter. I, mean, I, I just do. He's got that. I read another interview mustache. where he de- he declined to talk about Trump. That's not which a good sign. In my yeah, exactly right. <laughs> that could only mean one thing, dude. Which like I mean like obviously uh, that sucks and like that's a bummer and I have to pretend like. I have to literally I have to just pretend hmm. like I don't know I don't feel that way. <laughs> this is the first sign of that, I'm sure. Um but I think um I think if you can kind of look beyond that and also look at what he claims the song was about and at the time in in the early 90s and it also being like a a, a call and response to Injustice for All. Yeah, I, mean, I do think it's. I think it's like cool. And I know? think that I think that I don't think you even there, there's things that go hand in hand with that, like like the Slayer argument that like yeah. oh they're all racist because they sing about like Nazi stuff, and it's like well that's mm-hmm. like it happened, and like their band, the scope of the songs that they sing about are like that you know that like all metal bands of that ilk use that you know they're using that 
source material to make up or reference it to make this brutal content for their yeah. for their what their music is i mean and like i don't see any issue with you know taking those reference points and particularly like like you just mentioned if the last right if it is a way to creatively juxtapose the last output you had why not do it you know yeah right is it is it really so different than like having a record all about like i hate love fuck love and then sure. having like a love record yeah, you yeah. know what i mean is, is it is it really it's it's not it's, no. it's the same like yeah. principle so yeah you know it, it's one of those songs where you kind of realize like wait a minute that's the not uh, Dag, dagsby whatever the name of that snake is from the don't tread on me flag yeah, yeah. Like on the cover and then you start to go oh it's called don't oh shit oh no like is headfield like you know what i mean and but you also just kind of kind of have to remember that like even at that time it was just kind of different than it would be now yeah yeah it's a different it doesn't landscape. necessarily make it make it better or whatever but it does <laughs> it does the context yeah. certainly matters yeah right? what's next through the never weird song yeah cool song i my my note with this is like this kind of reminds me of a song that like and again i don't know i don't think it's brought up in the in the movie or whatever but like this reminds me of a song that could have been an older song that they've like reworked a little bit to fit in the scope of this record but like this to me reminds me of the songs on this record this reminds me the most of like old metallica there's another one too we'll get to it there's another one where it it, yeah i but i i agree with you like the main riff in this could easily be like the drums could have been double timed it could have been yeah exactly you know and uh i i think you know it's a cool song this is probably No, because it's again another breakdown riff. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome riff that comes out of nowhere. It's like bluesy again. Yeah. Doesn't really fit with the main riff. You know, it's it's like very kind of out of nowhere, but it's awesome. Yeah. And it, I like that riff quite a bit, actually. I think that that's I, like I've already mentioned a couple times, but I think like those little lick runs in this record are mm-hmm. something that really stick out to me on like re-listening, like. Things yeah. that I didn't didn't I don't associate as much with with the songs, but there is, you know, there is pretty constant little cool part guitar parts just peppered throughout the record. Yeah, uh, frustrating song to try to play on guitar because you know he did it all with downstrokes, and I I literally I used to be able to play Metallica songs all downstrokes like normal when I was like twenty. Yeah. And I just can't, I just cannot do it anymore. I think my dexterity just isn't there yeah. anymore. And I think as well, like, it's not, I know I certainly like at the time when learning these songs and like, like you mentioned before, like learning Kirk Hammett solos and stuff, like mm-hmm. it was like a badge of honor to be like, you got to play them downstroked or you're not fucking playing it right. You know? And yeah, I remember as, yeah, like a. 14 year old long hair kid thinking like that's the only way to play this song and then learning more about playing guitar <laughs> and being like ah, you can it doesn't matter <laughs> like it, it, as long as it sounds good it doesn't fucking matter yeah. um and then what's funny too is like you watch videos of them like dude even like creeping death like the 
right live they just kind of like like they don't they don't really because like they can't really do it either but then there's other stuff like watch them they just played um they just did some shit on the howard stern show that my mom sent me the other day and like fuck they didn't play master but what did they play they played a Saint Anger song, and they played. Um, oh, they played wherever I may roam, but yeah. So that doesn't really matter. But no, you know what they played? They played Master Puppets on Howard Stern a few years ago, and I I've seen that again on like on a YouTube recommended video. Yeah, and he's playing it all downstrokes, and as always, they play everything live a little bit faster. Yeah, he could still do it. I don't know how. I mean, surely his hand has to be like so riddled just with a- arthritis as well <laughs> like i'm just like every time i mean it's it's really unbelievable to watch um again the seattle the seattle live set yeah because it's just like i mean you and i both know too that like maybe you and i could do it with our guitar kind of up yeah right like the way it's supposed to be He's playing it at a full arm's reach, which is that that is why I do it is because of him and Jimmy Page. Right. Like, it's just like it it looks cool. And then that's like how you learn. Yeah. And you don't want to, like, veer away from that as you, you know, continue. The fact that he can do that at a full arm's length. Is like fucked up, like it's fucked up. It's fucked up that you could play. Yeah. All downstrokes live and sing. Well, I mean, that that's another thing, uh, another part of this that I, you know, made a note of is that like when, I mean, obviously there's a little like argument in part of it between him and Lars about Lars going like, I want to hear that again with the singing. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. He's like, you're recording the drums. Why do I need to be singing? And he's just like, I need to know it. And then he, you know, then they get into an argument about him being like, I'll ask you to do a drum fill when your arm falls off or so. he says something like yeah, that, yeah. you know? Well, he's, he says, he first of all, he goes, you want to hear it with vocals? Go sing it, <laughs> which is incredible. Yeah. But, <laughs> but then there's another part where Lars is like, if you ever need a drum, and he, James interrupts him and he goes, if I ever need a drummer, and they all laugh. <laughs> so, so fucking good. But like him. But yeah, that the, was that's for Unforgiven. Yeah. The fact that he's recording, the fact that when they're tracking the drums, that they're all playing live is cool. But the fact that he was singing through like the drum tracking is a testament as well to like how good his his like performance chops of like playing guitar and singing is i mean true i like and i think it's it's different for everyone obviously i think like particularly if you learn to play guitar and sing like if you learn like folk songs or singer songwriter type songs you're obviously going to be well more trained to do that but i think most people coming from metal and i think even probably him as well like I don't think he intended on being a singer. Like he was a guitar no, he player, didn't. you know? Right. And yeah, like, that's right. So it's wild. He didn't want to sing. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild that he's that good at it. I mean, and obviously he plays 300 shows a year and he's been doing it for 10 yeah. years, like at this point, yeah. but at, to the same token, like riffs like this or weird syncopated stuff. Like, I mean, you know, it, it, like it's a lot of that is still hard for me. Not that I've been singing and playing guitar for that long, but it's not like it gets easier. <laughs> like it's just, dude. I, 
I've known how to play Master of Puppets since I was fucking four, 14, 15. Yeah. If there was a gun <laughs> to my head, there is no fucking way I could even get through one line while playing. Yeah. I just, I just don't, I don't have that. I don't, I just can't do that. Yeah. You know? I, I mean, Harm's Way plays like all open note fucking chug, drop B riffs. And I, there are singing parts that I do where I'm like, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. still. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I, but I'm, I'm okay with the fact that I don't, I don't have that. There's also yeah. a lot of people who like, who look at a pedal board and go, yeah, I don't know how to do that. And okay, well, that's something that I do. Like I am comfortable with like yeah, putting sure. together something like that. Right. So like, I, you know, it's fine. Still impressive. Oh yeah. Maybe not absolutely. as impressive as like, maybe not so much as like Mustaine. Yeah. Who's playing infinitely more technical and difficult riffs or like Chuck Schuldner or whatever. Like, yeah. Okay, yeah, there's 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 better out there, but like to to be as good as Headfield was at both singing and cuz like Mustaine was not a great vocalist by any stretch of the no. imagination. Still so still for not. Headfield to be still and, and never was. Yeah. But for Headfield to be as good as he was um and this is surely his prime is like yeah. wild, you know. It's it's absolutely wild yeah. to me. Um, what's next on here? It is nothing else matters. Do you know how the main riff to this was written? No, tell me. He so this song is about his girlfriend, right? And it was written because I believe Lars was already. It was written on the road, but I believe Lars was actually already starting a divorce mm-hmm. that finished during the recording. He was talking to his girlfriend on the phone, and he had one hand on the guitar. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And like, that's it. And he just, he, in, and there's like another interview where he, he like had to be like, uh, I'll call you back. And just like had the, had the melody and just kind of went from there. I mean, it's, I think while again, this is a song that like every human being alive knows. Um, I, I do think that like, this is one of those songs where like he plays the guitar solo in it. And while it is like oh, yeah. so basic, it is like the perfect, the exact thing that needed to be there. Like it didn't need to be, you know, Kirk shredding dive bomb. Like it just needed to be yeah. blues box, like couple notes up and down, big bend. We're good. Like it goes for yeah. 15 seconds or whatever and it's fine. You know, like. I th- it's uh it's cool. It's a good song. It's like a very pretty song. Yeah. Like I, I like I like this more than Unforgiven. Sure. Yeah, I think so too. Um and it's, you know, it's got the uh it's got some strings like the keyboard mm-hmm. part of the da 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 cool drum thing the da goon da goon down And yeah, it's I I like it. I just remembered something. We got to go back to Sam in real quick because it's a testament to Bob Rock. In Year in the Life, he he does like a first run through of Sandman, and the melody is "Say your prayers, little one. Don't forget my son." Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like like there's no melody to it at all, and it's really interesting to think about how that could have been, and what had just been like kind of whatever and yeah. had no hook to it, and then Bob Rock, I'm sure, did all the melody in that. Well, there, which is awesome there's like there's two i don't know if it's this song or maybe there was another one it's an, an, an another note that i made 
or maybe it is Sandman, but he's sitting there with a guitar, like playing, playing the notes to Hatfield. Like, no, do this. Like, da 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 da, yep. or whatever. And then he's like, it's, it's oh, Sandman. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yep. Yep. I mean, that, that it's the <laughs> sleep with one eye open. Yeah, it's that yeah. Part. yeah. That, that that's like wild to me because again, like, I mean, it was something that I was gonna that I had in here to ask you is just like I've never. I mean, I've recorded with, I've had someone produce a record before, but I've never had, I mean, I've never had the level of input into it or maybe care about it that of just like, hey, you should do this. And then going like, no, I don't want to do that. And then going like, you need to do it. (laughs) Like Post Human was the first record where we did like pre-production. Yeah. And we did it with Will um, in his studio. So we just like, we, we came to him already with a demo for the record for what we had. He listened to it and had notes, and then he had us play it for him live and basically re-demo it. Yeah. And then we just went over each song, and I don't think we wrote a song in the studio, and I don't think a single song that we came with left the same way. Yeah, sure. So he had an input on every single song that changed. And furthermore, when we were tracking guitars... I'm not even joking with you. If I'm if I'm sitting, you know, here doing my part, Will is facing me watching like this. Yeah. And there were even parts where like if I'm doing a doing like a riff higher, Will would mute the strings for me. He would like hold just so just so that it was cleaner. Yeah, yeah. And and that was the first time like it was very very strange, very unusual. I'm used to doing my guitar part with whoever's engineering having their back to me. Yeah. yeah. Right. And you're just playing. Will is face to face, just watching. (laughs) Yeah. And just like making sure you're playing everything the way it's supposed to be, helping you mute parts, helping you turn down your knobs, which Bob rock also does at the end of the unforgiven solo. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was my first experience with anything even remotely close to that. Mm. Um, And as kind of weird and uncomfortable as it, is at first it's fucking awesome yeah it's awesome well that that's like the, the purpose end of, of it you know yeah the end of become a machine when we go back into like the breakdown riff mm. was will's suggestion yeah i remember that you, song was I just remember gonna, you telling me that yeah it was just gonna end on the when and now fade out yeah no heavy part and like i i can't even imagine that now so i i it was very valuable and obviously it it worked as well for us as it did for Metallica. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's why I nothing to else up, matters, man, you know, <laughs> <laughs> clear, uh, pattern correlation there between us and Bob rock. Uh, nothing else matters. Whatever. Kind of, kind of a whatever song. Yeah. Uh, today was the first time I've listened to it all the way through in quite a bit. Sure. Just because it's not, not really my vibe. However, the next song is, one of the most probably blackened than this song are like the most aggressive openings to Metallica songs. Mm. The opening of a wolf and man is fucking awesome. Yeah. It's sick. <clears throat> and it sounds like a door falling off, yeah. like a door slamming off of its hinges. Every time the snare and Tom hits, it's fucking awesome. Had- kind of silly, kind of weird, kind of like I'm a wolf kind of, you know, whatever. But like, cool kind of fantasy fun yeah uh lots of weird harmonies and like the howling and shit in the background yeah yeah it's um my my my, like the note that i made on this is that like 
something that is interesting to me with a record like this and particularly a band like metallica too is like and and maybe it, it comes from the stuff that i otherwise listen to or the you know the music that i've recorded or whatever but like i am so in and so like deeply ingrained to like records having a common thread through like the record and that there's got to be like a theme for the whole thing this is a record where like i mean obviously i'm sure there are things that tie everything together that with concepts and things like that but this is like one of the first and and maybe this is part of like doing it with a more you know pop music producer but this is the approach Mm -hmm. to this record seems a lot more like a a pop record in that like each song has its own thing Mm -hmm. and then that Mm -hmm. collective is the record as opposed to all of the songs having a carryover from one another to gotcha you know like and this was uh, particularly just like the lyrics to this song are like of the record like this is so weird (laughs) like to have yeah yeah super strange it's like a literal like it could be a dio song Mm. like lyrically you know like it makes no it doesn't fit in at all uh, the coolest thing that this song ever did was give Hetfield the the Explorer with the man turning into the wolf in the fretboard. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is that is a guitar. Yeah. Um and like I like it. You know, it, it's it's like a fun song. I think the is like really heavy. Yeah. And I just sure. like I appreciate that. They have Well, actually, what's the is it Dyer's Eve? What's the song on uh Injustice, where it's just like, oh yeah, yeah, it's kind of similar, but um, yeah. you know, I, I I like this song quite a bit. The S and M version is awesome because when New sits like, I got any wolves out there? <laughs> it's just like silly and fun and 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 like cool, and like I don't know, like some of his uh. Some of the craziest vocals are on this song too, because like, there's a note he hits where it's like, uh, "We shift cold in the wild," and it's like so high, mm. it's like really high for him, and he hits it, you know, like full chested. It's not even falsetto or anything. Yeah. So it's it's like a good performance, fun song. Was never going to be on the radio. No. Was always going to be a B side. Yeah. D- you know, deep, it's just deep record destiny. song. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. But a good song and a fun song. Mm. Uh, the next song, this is my actual least favorite song on the record. Yeah. I think The God That Failed kind of sucks. Yeah. I, w- I, I think it's probably worse than the, the soft songs, the ballads. I would say this is my, like, I don't, uh, like, if you, I mean, I can't tell you what it sounds like right now looking at the song. And I listened to it All twice. I know is it's got the it's got the gun cock. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah, yeah. and it's got it's got like a little it's got like cool stuff but yeah it's uh it's about his mom dying bummer he's got a song about his mom dying on like every record yeah also a bummer uh brutal <laughs> so like uh, yeah i'm sure that it like i bet you it actually meant a lot because like Growing up as a Christian in a Christian scientist household, and then writing a song on your biggest record ever, and Hetfield's dad it was is there. there. I yeah. don't know if you noticed. Yeah, he's there. Yeah. So like, having a song called "The God That Failed" on the biggest record that you've ever done 
pretty heavy. That and that you know, pretty that's pretty interesting intense. now too. He he fits in very in line with a lot of those other people that now I mean and I'm sure I don't know the meaning of this, but that guy is covered in crucifix tattoos. Like uh Hatfield? Yeah. And like it's hmm. there's lots of there's lots of people that I like in bands that have very you know older guys i mean like anti-religious or questioning religion statements that then years later are like i don't know if they are christian but like big you know the the the, um you know the 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 themes around that or the you know the the things that associate with that with start becoming part of their life as they get older I mean, even like yeah. my, my dad, when I was a kid, my dad was like, you know, pretty hard out atheist, thought it was a bit, you know, a joke, this, that, and the other. And then mm-hmm. he went through trials and tribulations in his life. And then now he is like a devout Buddhist and like, really? Yeah. Interesting. And, and I mean, it's that, that I don't, I don't care. That's fine. He can believe whatever he wants to believe, but it's just very interesting that how, how people get down that path. And, and yeah, that, that's the thing that I always think about with Hetfield is that, He's someone that has, you know, ha, ha, you know, like a song on a record that sold thirty three million copies. That right. is called "The God That Failed." It's pretty pretty wild that that's in in like popular in like popular culture there too. When the world is so leaned in the other direction from it, you know. Yeah, and it's also it's it's also interesting to think like, "Don't tread on me, the God that failed." Mm. These two things are like mutually exclusive yeah, yeah. normally, you know, like yeah. in a, like a conservative mindset. So it's, it is, I don't know. It, it's an interesting, that's probably the coolest part about the song is like yeah. the title and the message. The, the source material um, of it. Yeah. So, and, but that's about it. <laughs> My Friend of Misery. I think is. Cool song. I really love it. I think. And it's a very cool song. The other note that I had for this song is that based on that thinking process theory that uh don't tread on me was potentially going to be a single but then was pulled this song is another one to me that would fit in that same banner like it could be uh. because of its chorus like it has like it has a a like defined hook but then obviously the rest of the song is kind of you know doesn't align to that that being said like i think the last like minute of this song is like one of my favorite parts on the record. Oh, interesting. It's like, it's just such uh, a cool riffing at the end of the song. This song was actually written. Uh, it's Newstead wrote it and it was written as an instrumental. Yeah. They were going to, they were going to keep up the tradition of having an instrumental on every sure, record. Yeah. And, uh, I think Hadfield came up with the, uh, um, Wait a minute. I just thought of. Did we talk? Did we skip holier than thou? I no, think... we talked about holier than thou, but I forgot to talk about uh, no more. The crap comes out your mouth again. It's like one of the worst lyrics I've ever heard, but totally forgot about that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he came up with like a, um, a melody and an idea for this song. But yeah, dude, the co- the chorus. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, awesome. it's like a, just like a rock song chorus, not like yeah, a, yeah. not a a metal band's chorus. Which is why I kind of thought, like, I was kind of surprised that that wasn't something that they were, that they picked out. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, it's got a really cool bridge 
There's like tambourines and shit in the background. Oh, an actual legitimate good use of cowbell in this song. Yeah. And it's like, it's like the, obviously I'm sure it was intentional because Bob Rock is like legitimately a musical genius. Got a cowbell that's in the same key as the song. So it's perfect. Yeah. Fits right in there. And like, Cowbells suck. Like I, you know, they're like the silliest sounding thing. Yeah. Uh, but I think a good one you wouldn't necessarily notice. No. And that's how, how this fits. It's in the mix. It's it's only used during the chorus. It's awesome. Yeah. It, it's it's so funny. I I caught that just on my ride, um, home just now after that that finishing that job. Um. Yeah. This is a good song. Strong chorus. The ending is really good. You're right. Yeah. I just, yeah, I like, I, and, it's, this is one of the songs where like, there are parts to it that aren't, uh, you know, there's bits where I'm just kind of like tuning out or whatever, but when it gets into that, yeah, the, the chorus of the, like, I'm just like, and it's got, it's, it's got like the, the pre riff too. the, it's awesome. Yeah. Really like, I really like that song, dude. And then it ends with the struggle within. And like this song is really climbing my personal list. I used to think that this song was like actively bad. I have a struggle within shirt that I was going to wear for this. Yeah. I was wearing a green shirt oh. today. <laughs> so you'd blend and when in. I sat down, I just, yeah, I just blend in. So I was like, oh, I might as well wear a Metallica shirt. Couldn't find my struggle within shirt. It's somewhere, but it's like a belly shirt. It's like a mm. wide short shirt. And I just thought it would be funny to have my stomach sticking out, but I couldn't find it. <laughs> Um, and I used to think that, that this song was kind of like silly Yeah. until dude, this is a thrash song. Yeah. This is like the thrash song on the record. The thing that I have with this song is that like the only, the, my only, my only like not criticism, I suppose, but my only thing that's like weird to me with it is it's weird that it's like, it closes it out. Like. I agree. Like that seems it's weird that my me. friend of misery isn't last. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause it kind of just ends as of well. This song. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just like, Oh, it's over. Cause like, and that was the other thing when it happened yesterday and it started playing whatever song off justice. That's how, cause I, I <laughs> didn't remember that that's how the record ended. I was like, uh, mm-hmm. what's the last song? And then it was just like, whatever it was started playing. I was like, Oh, okay. The record's <laughs> yeah. over. Like, my only criticism of this song, and I want to I want to talk like in depth about this song because it's actually got quite a few parts that I think are awesome. Um, so actually, I'll start there. The it's cool that the the like marching band snare is the same rhythm as the verse, yeah. which I didn't realize until recently. Um, I think it sounds this could be on Master of Puppets mm-hmm. really easily. Actually, maybe not the chorus, not the struggle with that. Yeah. Like maybe not that part. But like the rest of the song could, um, especially how it like has like the stops with the like it's like a very uh, my only criticism is it seems like this. He got one shot with Bob Rock to do a vocal take. Right. It was just like, okay, go. Well, that's what it's going to have to be, man, because there's a part where he's like so much that you want to do where it sounds like he forgot the lyrics like the lyrics are really disjointed to the verse yeah 
Like they don't, it, it just feels like he didn't, there's like weird parts where there isn't singing when in the previous verse there would have been singing and there's like dropouts and like almost like a stutter. Like for real, if you listen to it, it's, he's like so much, like he like actually like. Yeah, falls it's into It's like it. he didn't, it, 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 it's a weird performance vocally on this. Well, th- so that's like my only criticism. Yeah, I think that, that that's the other, another note that I had on, I mean, Metallica in general that I think it it appears to happen very regularly after this record but like uh and p- particularly on particularly on like the two most recent albums where like i've seen the video of him doing it but like how Lars like and i mean i know you see it in this too with the editing process but like he seems to record just like a million takes of the songs and then they just take the best parts of the takes and put them together instead of like punching in as as you go he just keeps recording and like there's a there's a video in one of the on one of the hardwired like you know how they put all the songs up the video of them recording all the songs and he's like standing there talking to the the engineer or whatever and he's like on like pro tools he's like move that part to there and then this part we'll put back here and i'm just like as i as i'm watching that i'm like what does the rest of the band think when you like it's it's great that that's his job but like that has to be part of the reason why the more recent Metallica records have like some songs that go for like eight minutes. And it's like, why are you playing two bars of that riff from like four minutes ago now? <laughs> like, what do you need that for? <laughs> We're past it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It, it's, it is, this is, a, it's a strange, it's a strange song, but I actually quite like it quite a bit. Mm. I think the, the, uh, the chorus is really cool. I love Hetfield does like a pit call. Over a solo where he just says struggle during <laughs> over a solo and it's it's like a cool uh, Hammett solo mm. that's also in Year in the Life of him recording. It's like one of the times where Lars is like pretending to like plug his ears. Yeah, it's like the same session. Um, and then it does the. And it's like just a thrash. Yeah. It's like a like a that, skank. The run, it's the like run an down awesome, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. And there's also one of the one of the weird times where he stops, he goes, What the hell? <laughs> but if you listen, he screeches and it sounds like Ride the Lightning. Yeah, right. There's like a little screech to his voice. It's easily the last time we hear it. Yeah. Because after this, he's fucking, oh, you know. But like, <laughs> there's like a screech. Roots. Yeah, yeah. Fucking horrible. Well, he started going to the um, the vocal coach. Yeah. Because he blew his voice out doing all the, the covers and shit for this record. Um, But there's like a screech. And it's like that song, when you realize that that song is like, it's a heavy 90s band playing a thrash song mm. and like kind of like a nod to like the yesterdays. Yeah. It's like, I, I got a newfound appreciation for that song because of that. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's cool. I think while like that, that, uh, structure alteration stuff maybe isn't working for them now, that definitely was how they were doing stuff. Like that's how they were clearly how they were writing some of those other long, yeah. weird songs. So it's obviously something that has worked for them in the past. I mean, I think, and, an interesting yeah like again because after this record finish it started playing other stuff and then i was like all right i'm just gonna go and listen to the other songs that on the records that uh you know i know uh like i don't like the record but 
there's a there's like individual songs that I really like. Um, it is it, it's very interesting when you look at like the scope of the band and then in the context of this record that some of that older complex song structure stuff was abandoned for the purpose of this record. But then Mm -hmm. that has now come back into the band as the way that like, and maybe that came out of having three or four records that were like pretty straightforward effectively. Yeah. But it's interesting. It's going to sound like a garage band, but the garage band's Metallica. (laughs) It's It's one of Bob Rock's worst quotes in some kind of monster. It's It's like, oh, cool, Bob. (laughs) It's just so, it's just so weird that they, that yeah their their thought process now is like we got to write these weird long kind of thrash songs but like half of the band can't really play like that anymore like Lars can't drum like that and Hetfield doesn't oh. simply doesn't sing like that anymore so like why yeah. is that the vocal that like why is that the music that they're choosing to put that vocal on that that's what i think i think while i I mean, I'm going to listen to every Metallica record that comes out and I'm sure on every record there'll be a song that I, I will listen to or that I will really like or a part that I'll really like. But at the same... Hardwired had a couple, legitimately. Yeah, I think like so A couple too. songs I was like, that it's the best song they've written since Reload. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, I think the, the, the thing for me, like broadly with that though, is that like, it's just a band that like, at, the, at this point to me, like, they're just doing this to themselves. Like no one's hurting. No mm-hmm. one's no outside influence. I don't think is really hurting them. It just seems to be strange decision making. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh There, the S and M version of "Wherever I May Roam." When it. So the, there's the there's the um, the halftime. Yeah. right and then it da, 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 and it goes into full time um on that version it's the first time i noticed lars doing it where so what's he doing he's doing there's a hi-hat on every beat and a, the kick and the snare alternate right mm-hmm. so it's boo da boo da and it should be but he does this thing where he go he goes boom uh when on the kick hi hat, mm. he hardly hits the hi hat. Yeah, and he only really hits it. So you hear this like, yeah, and it makes it sound like a weird fucking disco. And there's a part on on the S N version of Wherever I May Roam where it is so, it sounds like some engineer was like fader down on the hi hat. Perfect. <laughs> like it sounds like someone just turned it off, put it right back, and and you know you saying like the band can't play like that anymore is what like reminded me. It's just like, dude, like he's not he, He's not using his arm yeah. because if you, if you just let it fall, it would be there. So it's yes. just like, and the, you're, you're very right. There's, there's just, there is so many strange things about his drumming that, and I mean, he certainly, ha- he has to know because everyone like, he's like one of the most hated yeah. figures in music, unfortunately for him. But it like the I mean, there's just stuff about the way that he he conducts himself as a drummer that's just bizarre as well. Like after this record, he just stopped using a ride symbol and like how? Oh my god! All yeah. of their songs, there's a China. Yeah, and all of their songs before this record, 
have ride parts and now whenever they play anything off their first four records he just hammers a, hammers a fucking china the whole time like it's so bizarre oh my God. so weird it's it's really bizarre to the point where i almost wonder if there was like a like a studio drummer that we just didn't know about mm. like how the fuck can the guy who struggled to play wherever i may roam which like i'm pretty sure i could sit down at a drum set and get yeah, through that you can song, figure it out right yeah. um how can the guy who struggles to do that play Fight Fire with Fire? Yeah. That song is insane. Well, and that, that's where, like, that's where I don't, like, that's clearly where part of that editing performances together comes from. Mm. You know, oh, mm. I got that. I, I nailed that on take four. Cut that in with the next, <laughs> the chorus of take two, and we got this, you know, like. Yeah, there's there's that one part in, in Year of the Life where they're like, yeah, we have like 80-something drum fills for this song. Anybody want to buy a drum fill? It's like, yeah, somebody wants to buy a shitty fucking <laughs> snare roll. You fucking loser. But that, and that was like, yeah, like I said earlier, like watching that little video today of that For Whom the Bell Tolls, and I was just like, man, this dude, like, that must be the hardest part for the band as well now is that like, he's leading. I mean, when they play live, he's, yeah. he's in charge. And if he's fucking yeah. up, I mean, I'm, and again, I'm sure, like, well, particularly Kirk and Hetfield must be just so used to it that they just, well, it, that's just what happens. But, like, Trujillo is, like, an incredible bass player, like a freak yeah. of music. It must be so <laughs> grinding on him. And particularly with all Especially because the- that's, that's your counterpart as a bass player. Yeah. That's, you know, like you guys are connected at the hip. And the, and and the, you, the band- you have to just... Well, the, the bands that he has been in, and particularly the band that he, he was, right before this, he was in Ozzy Osbourne's band, and the drummer was a drummer from Faith No More at the time. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. who's, an, I didn't who's know like an amazing drummer. Yeah. It must have been yeah. so wild touring and playing music with Zach Wilde and the drummer from Faith No More, and then going and being like, now you got Lars, bro. Like, you got <laughs> you got to get through, like... The weird oh, Tom man. bits that he misses and then just straight China for a full song. Like, it's, yeah. That must be, he Dude. he earned that million dollar signing bonus for sure with that one. <laughs> There's that song, uh, Until It Sleeps. Yeah. Which is one of the, I think it's on Load, which is like one of my, I, I legitimately really like that song. I think it's yeah. awesome. There's a snare roll in the beginning of that song. That I, I actually can't, I you know, I know we're off topic with the black on, but I, I cannot believe that Bob Rock was like, yeah, that's good. Leave that. Well, and that that's... Dude, it sounds like he falls over. <laughs> it sounds like he, like he dropped the snare or something. It's fucking insane. Well, because part, yeah, but- part of the thing with them as well is that like, you know, they're like, after San Anger, it was like, you know, we dropped Bob, they dropped Bob Rock. And then after that, it all got better. And it's like, but if you, I mean, if you watch some kind of monster, it's not Bob Rock's fault. Like that, you know, he's, he's obviously doing stuff that's not, you know, great and has lame, you know, comments and stuff. But at the same time, like, I mean, and it's obviously like a meme at this point, but like, the, yeah. the video of him, of Lars, of them playing like a riff in 4-4 and him like just having a brain melt and not being able to like to just hit. Gak. Yeah. like Gak. And Gak. It, like it's, it, yeah, I don't know if it's like just things like that for him. Again, if you think like this dude played Blackened, 
Like, if you think about the scope of the, yeah, the riff, yeah. the riff for Blackened is confusing. So, like, playing drums to that has to be more confusing, you know? Like... Uh, that's, like, the one part in the Year of the Life where when they go into the... Like, the coolest part of the song, like, Lars doesn't really play it right yeah. the first two times. And then he does, like, a fill, and they all kind of reset. Yeah. If you watch it, if you... that and And because you and I have both been in bands, we all know those parts in the set where someone struggles. Yeah, yeah. But you just get used to what the struggle is mm. and you know exactly where the downbeat's going to be. Yeah. That's a band that just toured for two years and is like absolutely just as sharp as they can be. They know exactly that, okay, here comes this part. He's going to fuck up. And they know exactly how it's going to go through. And uh, the whole reason I brought up Until It Sleeps is on the S&M record. He does a count in on the China. <laughs> <laughs> he just goes sha, sha, <laughs> it's like it's so fucking bad man yeah hold on I gotta get my cat you right. he doesn't want to jump down out of the macbook <laughs> he's a good 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 guy good boy thank you for not doing that so some of my, my yeah man my other notes on this were that the the listening party being at Madison Square Garden <laughs> sold out in yeah. Madison Square Garden. Yeah. It's it, That's that's one of the best parts of the whole thing is when the lady's like, "Do you feel a little cheated that they're not playing tonight?" And the guy's like, "I do. Definitely." And his friend right before the scene cuts, his friend goes, "The tickets were free." <laughs> <laughs> and then the scene cuts. It's so good. But yeah, I mean, a listening party. Yeah. That's Do you think you could get 30 people in a room to listen to one of your new band's records? No, never. No fucking way. No way. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's insane. And like, and yeah, I think Lars even says, he's like, I'm just bummed that a listening party happened here before we got to like headline a show here. <laughs> like, Right. You know. It, it's really, it's really startling to, there is no band uh, at least no like metal, heavy like a heavy band or underground band mm. that will ever get to where they were selling out arenas without being on the radio or MTV. Yeah. And without having like a major record release. And like again, that that eighty nine Seattle live set is like that's what you have to remember. Mm. Is like they weren't even there yet. They weren't they were halfway there. Yeah. This whole thing is is like people are going insane. It's a sold out arena. Yeah. And they're halfway there. Yeah. It's their fourth record. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's it's it, it I like obviously I know it's very on brand for for me to talk to you about this record. Uh as we said in the beginning like to the surprise of no one. I I love this band. But I just I really think that like up until Metallica before them you have like Black Sabbath mm. and Led Zeppelin. Yeah. And like, that's kind of it. Like Elvis. Yeah. You know, Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath. And then, and then like, there's, there's the, the you know, like maybe Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, who like, they broke through, but nobody did it like that. But, I mean, ACDC, you know, like there's the other like hard rock bands. Yeah. But when it comes to like shit that wasn't on the radio. Yeah. And I mean, I think the other thing too, with the, the difference between that and Metallica is, even further as well as like they looked like i mean this record they start wearing like the blousey shirts and 
unbuttoned down to yeah. their belly button and stuff. But like, there's a picture of Newstead right here <laughs> that you can't see, but he's in like a a knit a cable knit sweater. <laughs> he does <laughs> like a V neck. Yeah. He spends a lot of the recording of this of this record wearing a turtleneck too, which I thought was quite good. Um, yeah, and his his hair just <laughs> yeah sideshow Bob. Um, but like aside from that, this band still was like as well when they they got to this like enormous popularity peak, was still like Hetfield kind of looked like a shitbag still, you know, like he wasn't like looking yeah. like a nice put together guy. And in the at yeah. the time, I'm sure that was like incredibly jarring for like the masses that this this is what the front man looked like, you know? Yeah, good. They won the Grammy. They played at the Grammy. They played Sandman. Yeah, it's probably loud as fucking like crazy. Yeah, you know. Yeah. That's also one of the best parts when he's like, "Well, first thing we have to do, obviously, is thank Jethro Tull for not putting out a record this year." And then he, and then Lars does like this shittiest like ha like the shittiest <laughs> laugh. So fucking funny. <laughs> Ugh. um i mean really really great i think my my only other real like the other two notes that i had on this is that i definitely bought this this cd twice because i listened to it so much i think when i was in like seventh grade on a discman that it like burnt a hole in oh, the cd because it just got so scratched so i went and bought it again and then for years I would constantly lose the Black Album CD between two cases because I threw the CD out, the the <laughs> disc of the scratch one, and I had, and it was just like, it was like a little thing that I always remember being annoyed with between like seventh grade and ninth grade of like losing the Black Album mm-hmm. CD, and then the other thing, I like, it's often talked about, but you know that this was the record where they were like. Oh, you know, because the, because Ann Justice had like no bass on it, this record they like cranked the bass, and it's like so much more a focus of like him playing bass on the record. Yeah, watching the, you know, watching the doco, and then also just like listening to it thoroughly, he has got fucking licks all over this thing. Like not just dude playing chunky bass, he's playing like riffs himself, like very very In, frequently. Uh... In Don't Tread on Me. Yeah. The do 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 It's like a whole walk. And and like now that I've I've seen it, I can listen and I can hear that part. Yeah. But it yeah, it's like you said, like you're so used to the bass just playing whatever the riff was. Yeah. You know? It's awesome. Yeah. He is such an underappreciated member of that band. It's also crazy that Robert Chihulo has now been in He's their the longest, longest bass player, yeah. Running bass player, which is insane. Yeah. Uh, but Newstead at one point was easily the coolest. Yeah. He served like the coolest role. He was like the like meet and greet guy. Yeah. And he even says in one of those, he was like, I was on the other side. I was a fan of this band and and like I never want to lose sight of that. And in the end, has full integrity. Yeah. You know, like someone tells you you can't do that. He says, Well, I quit. Like that's fucking awesome. Yeah. That's ironically in like a weird way. That's the song. Don't tread on me. You know, yeah, yeah. Like, that's 100%. him literally standing by. It's like, it's like wherever I may roam, man, I'm out of here. It's, well, and <laughs> you know, I think, like, I think one of the biggest, disapp- the most disappointing thing I think for him in the scope of like that era of him leaving is that 
that's obviously like a big focus point of the some kind of monster is like him him leaving and and then like Lars yeah. going to see that band that he's playing in and the band that uh, he's Aquabrain. Yeah, and like that band is so bad that like it sucks so bad. It sucks for him that it wasn't like a cool band that he went to go and play. Like yeah. the first thing he did, of course, was gonna be shit, but it just sucks that they were making a fucking motion picture around the time yeah, that he was yeah. that he was going through that. Like Dude. We should do a whole episode on some kind of monster the documentary. Sure. Dude, we should do a watch along episode. Okay. So you and I started at the same time, and then whoever's listening to us would start it at the same a time. A running commentary. I love it. Yeah, a running commentary. Yeah, exactly. Like we obviously you can't have it on the video. Yeah. But we just we just do it together and just like talk about stuff as it's happening. I'm a hundred percent down. I would love to do that. Okay. That That's some kind of thing. monster we have a we have a DVD of it in our van. Yeah. It's in the harm's way van. It doesn't leave. We, we watch some kind of monster or uh, a year in the life or a year in the half of the life. Um, once a tour, it's just like a thing that we do. Yeah. We all, we all really enjoy it either to laugh or to like, just be like, wow, that's fucking crazy. I, I haven't, I haven't I watched better... some kind of monster in years either. So, I mean, I remember all the, and the other, I guess the big thing for me with that, is like I'm obviously like a huge fan of down and corrosion conformity and then there's like a yeah, yeah. The deleted scene thing of like of Pepper Cannon mm-hmm. being basically told like you can be in the band if you want and he's like you don't want me in your band I just came because James is my friend <laughs> like he's like yeah, you don't yeah. want you you don't want me a guitar player and singer to be in your band you want a bass player to be in your band and that that to me is one of like the coolest things is that even with everything going on in that band they have the wherewithal to listen to and take the advice of one of their peers who i mean at that at that point metallica's fucking you know the biggest band in the world and he's the cunt from down and corrosion and conformity but they still like <laughs> they still value his opinion to be like this isn't what you need for your band like you don't need me it's amazing imagine imagine just saying no thank you to millions of dollars yeah. Like that, that's to, and not even to do anything like to do what you're already doing with friends. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like you're not even, yeah. Oh my God. It's, that's wild. But yes, we yeah, should, we should uh, definitely do that. I, I would love to do that. Yeah. Um, that'd be good. That'd be good. all right. Well, we are coming up to one hour and 45 minutes of talking about Metallica. So mm-hmm. I reckon mm-hmm. we can safely call it there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for, uh, doing this again um absolutely what i mean obviously you're not you know band stuff's not really happening at the moment obviously still but uh-uh. um uh-uh. i mean you're still doing the streaming stuff obviously regularly yeah yep twitch.tv slash b-o-s-x-e um i play a hell of a lot of metallica yeah recently found a new thing called it's a thing called twitch sings which is like interactive karaoke okay it's free and it's it's fucking awesome just putting it out there but um yeah i stream uh stream tuesday thursday saturday which but at night so that'd be wednesday friday sunday mm. for y'all over yeah they're on the other side of the i've i've the tuned in a couple and, times uh, while you it's just been you've just been doing it while i'm at work so it's just fun to have it perfect. in the background while i'm doing emails so <laughs> perfect yeah yeah but that's that's really that's all we're doing uh harm's way is is gonna be um 
we took we just honestly we just took kind of like a break because there's really no rush yeah you know we have we have the skeletons for a lot of for for a whole record uh worth of songs and we're getting back into the swing of things people kind of went on vacation and did stuff and blah 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 so we're actually gonna probably be talking about that tomorrow um yeah and get back into the swing of things but just kind of figuring out how to navigate this weird world of not playing shows. Yeah, it's bizarre. How about the fact that the only show Harm's Way is going to play in 2020 was on Valentine's Day with Lamb of God in Chicago? <laughs> it's our only show for the year. <laughs> it's a good thing to tick off, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks for doing it, mate. Absolutely.